The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS, that's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. How's that kidney stone doing? Um, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I, it, I, <laughs> I was trying to talk, I was talking to my brother about this. And he's like, what does it feel like? And I'm like, well, it feels really excruciatingly painful, like last week when I went to the emergency room and the whole thing. But uh, now it's been over a week, and I don't know that I passed it because I don't, I didn't feel it pass, you know? So it kind of always feels like um, in the downtime between the really bad pain, it feels like I got kicked in the stones about like an hour ago. Do you know what does I mean? Does it feel like that now? a little bit it's like it's always like you're kind of uncomfortable but like it's kind of like it's not painful it's more of like a dull like oh yeah that hurt not too long ago that's how i'm emotionally yeah like you've been kicked in the stone always uncomfortable (laughs) and it just hurt a while ago (laughs) yeah uh but yeah so i don't know when did it start getting better we it just like uh the last really bad day was maybe like monday or tuesday okay and then uh it's just been kind of this like background pain mm. so i it think it's still be there it, it might may- be oh i have an appointment tomorrow in the afternoon with a urologist oh. but they want me to bring this thing to him i'm like i don't have it yet or yeah. if i did i lost it and you're on painkillers still? yes uh, so yeah. maybe, maybe just the painkillers are working yeah i mean i am taking them on a fairly regular schedule yes so. this is why there's an opioid crisis yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely because remember that excruciating yeah. pain you felt nothing yeah. has changed <laughs> other than opioids in your system that's true and i've been taking them yeah that sounds good. This was a quiet week. We were just uh, looking over the news to see what was going on this week. Not a lot. Men in Black International came out. It turns out it's just as bad as Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I guess so I didn't even know movie. it came out this week. No, it's another movie we didn't get to. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to be good. I liked that first trailer. I love Men in Black. I think that first movie's perfect. The second movie is garbage. The third movie is surprisingly solid. But yeah, it, it's not great, but it's fun. No, nobody seems to remember they made it. Yeah, but, I couldn't even tell you what it's about. That's uh, It's about Josh Brolin being Tommy Lee Jones. Well, I remember that's in it, but I think that's all I remember. Bill Hader is Andy Warhol. What's There's his that, name? That oh, too. that's right. It, yeah, it's I enjoyed it. that movie. So then this one was like, ah, we'll spin it off and we'll use Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson because they work so well in Ragnarok. I love them both. I know, and, the, and they were great in the few moments they had an endgame together. And then it turns out, like, they don't get much to do other than, like, grab giant chrome guns and run around. Mm. And Camille Nanjiani is, like, a little alien guy. He's doing the voice of an alien guy. And I'm always... How do I know that? Uh, Camille Nanjiani is everywhere now. He's on Silicon Valley. I did stand up with him in New York, like, ten years ago. I just saw him. They do, um... Uh, I don't know. The guy who can't, like, keep a straight face on SNL who has his own talk show Jimmy Fallon. You mean the Tonight Show? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I guess so. You know, the, the late night show that started late night shows? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I can't remember you mean who Steve owns Allen what show. show? That's the show? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so Jimmy Fallon did a show, and it's on his show there's a segment where they all sit around and they uh, tell us either a lie or a truth, and the other two people have to guess what it is. And I think he had Thor and Kamal on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who's this guy, and why is he appearing with Thor? And it's like, oh, because he's in Men in Black. Yeah, he's in Men in Black. He was, he's got a movie with Dave Bautista coming out with Drax. Is that where like Dave Bautista plays like a, a CIA person and like there's like a little girl that he's teaming up with? Because yeah. that movie looks terrible. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think he's like driving around with him for a whole movie. Oh, so it's know, a but he's doing movie. he's doing a lot, and he's yeah. uh, he had a movie called The Big Sick, which he wrote about he and his wife's lives. Um, oh, in okay. Chicago before they moved to it New York. It was like a real story and it's like terribly tragic. And it's yeah, and it thing. was, it freaked me out because I I knew them in New York. They used to do my show and they yeah. were both really sweet. She would always come with them and she was really nice and I liked them. They were the kind of people that like, 
uh, oh, I really like them, but I don't make efforts to hang out with uh-huh. them. Um, and then I, then I then I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh, six months before I met her, she almost died. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it it was weird to. Um, but he's everywhere now. He's doing great. He did the first episode of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. which you can find on YouTube. It's him and Tracy Morgan. It's really good. Um, he's and he's part of Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is like doing one final season. But he's in Men in Black, and that was like, oh, look, he's in a huge thing, but I still don't want to see it. Uh, so now we're – it feels like we're in this lull of summer, but it's just we're skipping the movies that are coming out. I yeah. feel like I saw Endgame, and now I'm waiting for Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, Spider-Man's coming up pretty quick here. It's only like Probably two July weeks weekend, away. Yeah. But I got to say, it's like um, – I made an effort to see Godzilla because I wanted to, and I was like, "Man, oh, talk about that last week." And then uh, I want to see X Men only out of like uh, morbid curiosity, yeah. but I don't know that I want to pay for it. Well, I can't let franchises go, and that this is uh, this is a real problem in my collecting. Is you know, I have I have long runs in my long boxes of titles that I hate. Like I was going through my Fantastic Fours, and I have going back to about. 53. I don't have a first appearance of Black Panther because five years ago I said, I'm not going to pay $125 for the first appearance of Black Panther. <laughs> and now you're not going to pay $1,500 yes. for the first appearance yes, of Black Panther? That shows what yeah. kind of businessman I am. Yeah. Uh, so I have everything past that up to today. And I'm looking through my I'm looking through my collection. I'm like, there are decades of this book I don't like. Right. But I have them and I've read them multiple times and I do that. So I'm going to go see Dark Phoenix eventually just because, well, I've seen all the other ones. Yeah. And it's, and I know it's not like, it's an ending because Fox sold to Disney. They probably would have made more. Had Yeah. They didn't, I, they didn't design I don't think this they as were, the end of the saga. No, I, I think they're, because they still have that other one coming out that fall or the New Mutants or whatever. Whether or not that actually ever happens, who knows. But, yeah, I think that'll just show up on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. It's just like, uh, but yeah, they weren't going to stop making X-Men movies anytime soon. I think it's kind of just like, they're always just going to kind of be working on the next one. So, right, so there's you no... had to take it away from them. Yeah. They, you know what I mean? They couldn't, they were like a misbehaving child. They just keep breaking it. Yeah. They couldn't, they couldn't be trusted with it. Yeah. And uh, they, they tried this already. This isn't like the first. They tried thing. and failed. Yeah. Miserably. They did this like. God, it must be 13 years ago was X-Men 3. Yeah. And it was the first really bad X-Men movie. Right. And they were just like, nah, let's, <laughs> we'll fix it this time. Yeah. Uh, it, idiots. They're I mean, idiots. I remember when X-Men 3 came out, this was before I knew there was like seven more bad X-Men movies to come. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a tribute to 90s X-Men because there's no story and there's 50 mutants jumping around. Yeah. They yeah. really lost the fucking thread there. Well, they got Brian Singer back and it didn't help. Yeah, I think it arguably made it worse because yeah. uh, everyone goes on and on about Brian Singer. Fuck Brian Singer. Well, he's he, a horrible human being. Well, one. besides that, but everyone's like, "Oh, X Men One was you know Brian Singer's you know he started this whole journey and fuck that." Uh, X Men First Class is a better movie with a not creepy director, so far as we know, and the budget was less than what they had on First Class. So. Or less than what they had on the first X Men movie. So fuck Brian Singer. You there know, were only, like, there were only three. That guy. There were only three great X Men movies. There was X Men Two, there was Logan, and there was Deadpool, and that is it. I don't know. I like First Class. Um, we talked about this last week. First Class is a good movie of, about characters I don't care about. Mm-hmm. Deadpool. I like Deadpool Two more than I like First Class, and I wouldn't count mm, Deadpool Two just because Deadpool One was such a surprise. Yeah, but. But we didn't see that, and we're not seeing Men in Black, so we're just kind of yeah. I definitely looking around. Uh, definitely, I'm not going to go see Men in Black. I think it's like, uh, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just like there's too much of this stuff, or it's like, uh, you know, it's like if if something isn't out of the gate, it doesn't have to be incredibly or you know smash box office records and stuff like this. But it's like just don't come out of the big gate shit in the bed, you know. Yeah, I mean, people complain all the time. It's like, oh, there's no original ideas in Hollywood and everything's a franchise and everything's everything's borrowed interest and uh, existing fan base. But when something different comes out... People don't like it. You're like, hmm, I don't know. We just looked at the trailer for Dr. Sleep. Oh, yeah. I was very confused by. Well, it's the sequel to The Shining. And usually that would be a big red flag that'd be like oh fuck this i'm not seeing yeah. the sequel to the <laughs> i was uh when did you, you ever see me... the sequel to chinatown that jack nicholson directed no i didn't oh. know they did one and i yeah, love no and it's it's called the two jakes and basically 
it's made in 1990, which tells you one thing. Jack Nicholson took all of his Batman clout to get this made. Yeah. Like, they were like, hey, you're in the biggest move in the world, Jack. What do you want to do? I want to make a sequel to Chinatown. And I want to direct it. And he was <laughs> in it? And they let him. Yeah. It's five bucks on iTunes right now. Yeah. Yeah. He plays Giddies again, and it's 20 years later. Oh, and he's in California. It's, it's like, usually, like, you don't, you don't want to go back to something that was a singular event. But. What it has going for it is that Stephen King actually wrote this book in the 90s because mm-hmm. I remember a lot of talk about it coming out. And I'm a casual. So uh, for somebody that just like, uh, you know, fucking has no idea about what anything is, The Shining came out in what year? The movie came out in 1980. The book was before that book. Okay. The book's like, I think it's early 70s. It's not its first Okay, book. so the book comes out, or the movie, I'm sorry, comes out in 1980. It's a huge deal. Yeah. And then... T- t- 15 years later, they write a book, a sequel book? 15 years later, Stephen King decides to write a book. Okay, that's a sequel to it. Yes. And how's the book get written? Which is what this movie is an adaptation of. So all I know about it is that um, it's Danny grown up and he still has psychic powers. And he's played by Ewan McGregor. Who I love. Yeah, and it's interesting because Ewan McGregor is around my age and the original Danny was around my, I was like eight when the film came out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, so he's aged in real time the way I've aged in real time. But the book came out 20 years ago. So did they write this for a 50 year old person instead of a 30 year old person? Because that's a big difference. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because Ewan McGregor is closer to 50, you're saying. Yeah, I think he's over 50. He's a little older than me. Uh, So... That's kind of inter- that's kind of interesting. I don't know that it'll change the story. Oh, and heavily. also, like, when does the movie take place? That's what I mean. Place in the- I think it takes place now because there's no attempt to make Ewan McGregor look younger than he is. Mm-hmm. Like, in fact, there were a couple of shots in the trailer. Like, oh, he's the lines in his, his face are getting deeper. Like, he looks older than he did in Christopher Robin. Yeah, which was Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I think he's playing his own age. The, but the interesting thing about this trailer to me is that there were so many shots that were homages to the Kubrick, The Shining. Yeah. Like there's flashbacks that show like... The hallway with the girls and the blood elevator thing. The big wheel, the um, woman in the shower. Um, But the interesting thing is Stephen King hated Kubrick's The Shining. How involved is he in this movie? I'm sure he's more involved. I'm sure this movie got made because it was such a big hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then I'm sure there was a scramble to whatever else to go like, what didn't we make from Stephen King? Yeah. Uh, you know, like pretty much everything he's written, like at least got. Have you read the Shining, the book? No, no, I've never read the Shining the book. I've read a handful. I've read Misery, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, I'll never watch that. Or um, that's terrifying. I believe I, I believe I, I read it. Um, I don't read that either because there's weird child. I think I started orgies. the Stand. I haven't read all of the Stand. I read, I read the original Stand by Me, the Body. Mm-hmm. So I've read a few. I wrote, read his book on. Uh, on writing, which was both an autobiography and um, his sense of structure, which I found fascinating. Yeah. Stephen King's one of those guys that I don't read him a lot, but every time I read him, I really enjoy it. Yeah. So, but he's got so many. Uh, he, I, I don't know how that dude, uh, he's just like a reservoir of like ideas. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And they're all terrifying. You know, he doesn't have like a single happy thought in his head. No. <laughs> he's a monster. He's never making a comedy. No. And, and the funny thing is his peak in the 80s was like, he was writing books that were just bigger and bigger hits. Meanwhile, they were making movies of his older books that were bigger and bigger hits. Like, you know, uh, Everything like The Thinner and It and, and like Christine was coming out as a movie and Cujo was coming out as a movie. Uh, the Shining was around that time. Then he was completely on cocaine the entire time. Oh, was he? Yeah, he made this movie called Maximum Overdrive. And it, he was so popular that they were like, you write and direct a movie. Yeah. And he says he doesn't remember it. Oh, my God. Because he was so high on coke the whole time. And, the, and it's... It's this really weird movie. It was on HBO a lot in the 80s, and it, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like Christine, where there's like a car killing people, but it's a truck killing people. And for some reason, it has the head of the Green Goblin. Google so Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. Maximum Overdrive movie. You will see the Green Goblin immediately. Yeah. And I'm like, is this a Marvel movie? Yeah. Because this is also in the 80s, when the Marvel wasn't a brand in movies, Howard the Duck was right about to come out. Right. And as a 13-year-old, I'm like, okay, there's a Howard the Duck movie and the Green Goblins in the Stephen King movie. What am I supposed to believe? Yeah. 
but he was completely whacked out of his head. That's crazy. And the books were still good. Yeah. Well, that's even crazier, is that not only does this guy have enough ideas to write many, many hundreds of books, consistently this guy's got shit coming out. He can do it on cocaine, and they're still good. That's crazy. That's the 80s. Yeah. Woo. You know, the 60s, everybody was doing it on weed. Yeah. Now, everybody's doing it on acid in the 60s. The 70s, there was a lot of weed, and then there were just a bunch of pills that didn't quite hang around. Like, people were really into lewds for a while, and they went away, like... You know, speed was big before it became crystal meth. And, yeah. And then the 80s were all about cocaine. It's crazy. And every now and then heroin comes back. Like, heroin came back in the 90s, but then, like, heroin comes back for six months and then a bunch of famous people die. Right. And people, <laughs> it's like, no more heroin. <laughs> yeah, like, away. we should stop doing heroin. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm giving this whole thing about drugs. I haven't done many. But. <laughs> I like that John Mulaney bit. It's like... Mm-hmm. uh Oh, I can't remember the joke now. I just lost it. It's something where it's like, you guys want to talk about, you know, drugs or whatever. And it's like, not unless everybody gets really cool with a lot of stuff really quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, But Stephen King's had this really, I'm fascinated by his career because it's been this long career where, first of all, he's become a brand unto himself, which is very hard to do. Yeah. And he's become an enduring brand, which, uh, as you know, is, I find the most interesting thing in pop culture is... Is brands that last for decades. Yeah. Like, uh, nobody knows why they work. And I'm constantly fascinated by, like, why. Uh, I always use Batman as an example. This is the 80th anniversary of Batman. Is it the 80th? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It this is the 80th is. anniversary of Batman. It's also the 80th anniversary of Marvel. And because of that, Hasbro is going to punish us with about 72 Marvel Legends. Are figures. they punishing us? Are they? In a way. <laughs> yeah, they're punishing uh, your bank account, maybe. Yes. It's a joy. It's, it's, it's a sheer all, joy. <laughs> it's also the 30th anniversary of the Tim Burton Batman, which yes. is next week, which yeah. that might have to be our uh, whole podcast. I could get people for that. Yeah, but but how how are these brands constantly talking to new generations? And Stephen King's been able to do that, where people are saying this is because of it, which I thought was great, by the way. Did you see it? Or we- I So the Tim Curry it I saw as a child, and yes. I'll never watch that movie again. The, I have it on iTunes. They put it up for five bucks when the movie came out. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of John Ritter being very scared. Yeah, uh, and I, d- I did see the new one they did, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm like a baby. I don't like horror movies because I'm a baby. Yeah, and uh, I like horror movies, but I don't like to be scared. Oh yeah, okay. so it has to be like not that good a horror movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, can you give me one that's not so horror? Well, you know, I like monsters. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I don't like being scared. I hate jump scares. I think jump scares are cheap. They work, yeah. but they're cheap. I it's I like actually a just coaster. got jump scared in a movie. Oh, it must have been Godzilla. I think there's a jump scare in Godzilla. How does Godzilla actually... jump scare somebody? Exactly. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> like, ah, Godzilla. It was like underwater. I'm 150 feet tall. Yeah, he was hiding behind the ocean. Uh, jump scares are cheap. I did see the newest it, and I didn't yeah. find it particularly... Uh, it's horrifying. Yeah. But it's not... Um, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, I could watch the sequel. I watched this. it at home, so I wasn't sitting in a theater, yeah. which, which does a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I think because it does a lot, I never see a horror movie in a theater. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's like an ironclad rule, but, uh, probably not gonna happen. I don't happen. either. I mean, the, uh, the closest, I think I saw The Sixth Sense alone when it came out. Yeah. And, uh, I remember I, I was like, I was single and I, my mom gave me for Christmas, like 10 free passes to movies for 1999. Yeah. So I saw Phantom Menace five times. Yeah. <laughs> you got to double check, <laughs> make then, sure, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah. and, and I saw, and I saw the sixth sense by myself. I was, um, I was a year I was working at the museum of television radio when I worked four days a week and I worked off hours. So I used to just wander around Astoria when I had days off and there was this cool old theater, which is now a fucking Dwayne Reed. Mm. Um, but it was this crime. It was this old theater from the thirties and they had two movies in there and I would just, and it was a 15 minute walk from the house. So I would just walk over and see movies. Yeah. And I, uh, I love seeing movies. So it's like, uh, if I can't get somebody to go with me, I'm going on my own. Yeah, you know, I have no qualms about seeing a movie alone. But I'm so much of an introvert that I love movies, but I mostly want to watch them in my house. Oh. So I, so over the years, I've gotten better and better TVs and better and better surround sounds. So I can just, and, you know, more and more internet capability. Yeah. So now I have Apple TV and I can just go, Siri, show me the sixth sense. And now I'm watching it. 
So for me to go to a movie, this podcast actually gets me to more movies than anything else because it's like, oh, Endgame is out this weekend. We need to see it this weekend to talk about it. Um, And honestly, I was planning on seeing Men in Black and I was planning on seeing Dark Phoenix until the reviews came in that were so bad. And Dark Phoenix lost a hundred million dollars. That is, that is, uh, that's insane. I, yeah, but I love like who cares? Because Fox doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, let's put it this. So Disney, Disney just bought a studio that lost a hundred million dollars, but they just made a billion dollars with the same property. You think yeah. anyone is stressing? You know who's stressing over the failure, of Dark Phoenix? The director. Yeah, well, definitely. I think it's like Simon the, Kinberg the, doesn't feel good about the, the cast and uh, crew of that movie are uh, probably not sitting very. Uh, Although the cast of that movie is James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, and Jennifer Lawrence, they don't care. I hope not, because I think they'll be fine. It always seems to be like it gets pinned on the director, right? That guy's steering the ship. So. Yeah, that, well, and he, it's Simon Kinberg who's written like most of them. He's been around since the Brian Singer days, uh, and they're finally letting him direct. Yeah, so maybe and they're just like, no more this for no you. No more directing for you. Yeah. yeah, you see that happen a lot where that happened with Jonathan Frakes was um, Riker on Next Generation, started directing some of the episodes of Next Generation, and he was really good at it. And they and the cast liked working with him. Um, they liked him as a director. Obviously, they liked working with him as a cast member. And he did more and more and more. And then when uh, First Contact came around, they let him direct it. And First Contact is the best Next Generation movie. Yeah. It's fantastic. But then he directed Insurrection, which is not great. It's like a two-hour episode. And that was it. He directed like one kid's movie, and he went back to TV. Mm-hmm. And in Directing fact, TV? Yeah, and he directed a lot of Castle. He's about to direct Star Trek Picard. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool that he's going to come back for that. Uh, my buddy Ken's always like, oh, man, it's like, you know, really likes the Next Generation. That's like his, like, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm I'm really hoping that that Picard show isn't uh, a stinker. <laughs> yeah, I, think, like, I think it'll be good. I hope it'll be good. The story behind it was that Pat, Patrick Stewart wasn't going to do it. He read the script. Uh, he heard the pitch. Yeah. And, and then he they was didn't like, think he was going to do it, but they were like, we should just try. And then he thought about it and he was like, actually, it's interesting. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's do 13. That's kind of what I'm hoping is that they got a good hook. Just do 13 episodes, just kind of a swan song. And he doesn't need to. He's. Not, it's yeah. not like his career is sunsetting and he needs to like – Tap he's into not, yeah, that this character isn't, this again. This isn't reviving a beloved character. He's not. Uh, this isn't Rambo Five. I was exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say he's not Sylvester Stalloneing this. This is well. There was that period different. around 2008 where every single action hero came like, back. Did, they one came back more into time. One more. Yeah, like <laughs> Bruce Willis did another. Bruce die Willis hard. did another Die Hard. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out then. Mm-hmm. Um, Men in Black Three was kind of the tail end of that. That's like 2012. Yeah, and that was Will Smith trying to come back. Well, Stallone Smith's did another Rambo. Then he did another Rocky. So there were a lot. There were a lot of them around here. Like I can do one more one of these. One more before I gotta hang up my hat. Yeah, uh, and in, in Indiana Jones place, literally hang up my hat. Yeah, the last shot of that is him hanging up his hat, and then it blows off, and he puts it back on. The uh, um. Will Smith's making a movie where he fights younger Will Smith. Do you see this? Yes. They're really jumping on this uh, Disney technology of just de-aging people. Yeah. And you know what? It's I feel like it's like Looper, but it's not going to be as good. Like the thing that made Looper interesting was seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of do Bruce Willis. Yeah. And he's a they're both good actors. Bruce Willis is a good actor. Yeah. And it's I easy to forget that. It is. Yeah. I think it's like he's good. It's just like uh, he's not a lot of like really good non- franchisey movies you know what i mean yeah. it's like he's he but does he's, all those you know he's die also one of those like, guys that will just check out in a movie and you can feel he's just going through the motions and he doesn't care and it's just like uh it's just a drag for everyone involved including yeah. the audience so where were we what were we talking about? heavens who knows <laughs> <laughs> um well we were well, talking about the shining we were talking about the shining yes so yeah i think and we, that they're making a sequel which i we think is weird about, it's weird but if the book did really well and because stephen king's still an interesting writer um had i read the book i'd probably be more excited but i'm like cautiously optimistic optimistic and to be fair i probably won't go because it's a horror movie right i mean it it chapter two is coming out around then as well so there's gonna be two stephen king movies yeah yeah see that is like uh i don't know that i'll see that in theaters we'll see what you know the people around me are doing maybe that it movie i'll see but um 
it's like I people like love it a lot more than I think it maybe not deserved, but it's just like horror is always like a weird thing with me. It always is like I'm always kind of confused why horror does so well. I understand they're really cheap movies to make, so right. they can get their money back really quick. But it's like they're like we made ten Saw movies. I'm like. Really? I mean, you needed more than two of these at the most? Well, yes. Horror franchises are the weirdest thing. We talked yeah. around this around Halloween. The biggest problem is the big ones are like the recurring characters. It's like, okay, the monster is attacking different people in every single movie. Right. But the problem is, thanks to, I think, the first Terminator. Um, Which they're making another Terminator movie. Yeah, and Schwarzenegger made one in like 2000. 2008 was was the Christian Bale one where they like CG'd Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And then they made another one that he was actually in. And now this one. Now this one he's he's actually actually in. in. And so is Linda Hamilton. Yeah. And in fact, Nika just showed two figures of like old Schwarzenegger and old Linda Hamilton. Right. But like um, James Cameron's way more involved in this than he's been since the second one. Whatever that means. (laughs) And Terminator's one of those. Terminator's a perfect franchise. There's this um, subgroup that we mentioned this before there's a subgroup of horror sci-fi franchises yeah. and the three big players in that are aliens predator terminator and of course dark horse has done a million comics where they all crossed over right so they're these rated r sci-fi action movies that are scary so they have the gore level and the terror of horror movies but then there's a sci-fi thread that pulls through the problems with those franchises when you look at them as opposed to something like star wars or star trek None of them are built to set up another movie. Right. So, so because they are built on horror movie engines, since the first Terminator, the th- every third act of a horror movie is we killed the monster pretty easily. Then the monster came back. Yeah. The then we killed the monster back. again. Harder. Now the monster comes back. Now we definitively kill the monster because the movie is over. Right. So we have to kill the monster in a way that's way more hardcore than the last two times we killed the monster in the last 12 minutes. Yeah. And then that's the end of the movie. Unless you have a fucking edit and credit sequence where the monster pops up yet again. Yeah. Which most of them do. The problem is then you make a sequel to it and like, well, now the monster's back. And you're like, how the fuck is the monster back? And even... And that was the Terminator thing because that was Terminator where they like, they blew up the Terminator, then the endoskeleton came out and then they stuck the dynamite in the endoskeleton and it blew his legs off and then it was crawling and then they squished him in the vice. Yeah. That was the first movie and people called that the Terminator style ending was that, wow, we killed the monster, oh, the monster's back. Um, Now they do it with everything. So the problem is you've beaten this thing so deep into the ground that you're, the first 15 minutes of your next movie is finding some cockamamie way to bring your monster back. Yeah. And then usually you're just introducing new heroes because you killed off all the other ones. So unless unless you have a recurring hero, like, say, Evil Dead, like the Evil Dead movies I think work really well because it's always Bruce Campbell. And yeah. Bruce Campbell survives each movie, so you don't have to worry about, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy was the only constant. Yeah, which uh, is hard to build a franchise around a monster. Right. I mean, you had Heather Langenkamp in three out of the seven movies. That doesn't really count. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's always like we kill Freddy, kill Freddy, kill Freddy, and then the next movie, we brought him back. At one point, like, a dog pees fire on his grave and brings him back. It's just, it's a, it's such it's a mess. silly. And I think it's like, we, we uh, it might be similar in this sense, because we've talked about this before, is that, like, comedies are also difficult. The sequel to a comedy yes. is, comedy, like, comedy Comedy kinda... sequels are the hardest. Right. But I think it's, it's a similar, is true for the horror franchises, is that it's like, every time you try to do it again, it gets... Uh, that much harder to do and then at some point you kind of hit these like soft reboots in the franchise yeah. where like prometheus was kind of like a soft reboot yeah kind of a prequel but then the last but then alien covenant wasn't any good anyway but then the last like halloween movie i think was supposed to be like okay none of the in-between movies happened the first movie happened yep. and the last and apparently happened. the new terminator is supposed to be like that where it's like the there's only the two terminator movies and nothing t1 else and t2 and mm-hmm. then this one just the cameron ones yeah i kind of like that third terminator movie it's not I bad i don't know that i ever saw the third terminator the second terminator Claire Danes is, is in great it. and i think after yeah, that i just second one's a classic out. yeah but then and, yeah i you know so i just think like uh it, it it does seem they're being like a little smarter with like the it movie coming out it's like here's a sequel that's this, uh, you know, same narrative. It's like the same kids and they're 30 years later. Well, that's also, they split that book in half. Right. It was uh, the original book, when it came out in the theater, 
I was like, this is a book I haven't read, so I'm going to read it. And that book is so long. It's like 1,200 pages. By the time I finished the book, the movie was out of the theater. Mm. So I was like, ah, I'll just wait for it to show up on iTunes. And that's when I saw it. But the way the book is laid out, it jumps back and forth. So, uh, like, it's chapter by chapter and sections of, like, you're following one character in the... You're following one character in the present, and then they flash back to the past. So the way the movies did, they pulled out all the flashbacks and made a movie just of that. Mm -hmm. And now this is everything that's left. Gotcha. So this is... So basically, at the end of it... And spoilers spoilers for a 35-year-old book. But at the end of it... When they get rid of Pennywise, they all split up, and then it's they go they go off and live their lives, and then something happens that starts to bring them all back together, mm-hmm. and that's what Chapter Two is going to be. Yeah, and so I always feel a little more secure when a sequel of something that doesn't really need a sequel is based on existing literature. I'm excited about every superhero movie, not just because I love superheroes. But because they print them every single month, yeah, there's, there's a, always there's another story material. you yeah. can adapt that works. Mm-hmm. You don't like you don't get to the. Th- we used to be that way where we got to the third movie and they ran out of ideas, and I was like, "How can we be out of ideas?" Yeah, there's twenty five villains you haven't even touched. Right. Much I always less think stories. that's really weird. And going back to Dark Phoenix is like. You're doing the same story again. There's right. There's there's plenty of material to mine for all these characters. Where it's like when they get to the third movie, and you're like, oh, they're really out of gas. It's like, yeah, but how? Like I watched right. the third, I watched the second and the third Iron Man movie recently, mm-hmm. and two's better than three, and we can fight about that if you want. I disagree. But the third movie, you're just kind of like, hey, you know, you're just kind of like, this is it. This is what you guys is the best <laughs> we fucking came up with. It's like Extremis is a great story, and it just seems kind of like they m- muckied it up. Yeah. And then you just kind of look around and, and think you know, like Spider Man they... three, where they just threw everything yep. into the third Spider Man movie, and you're just like, what were you idiots thinking? There, there's a scene. <laughs> you know? in where Spider-Man 3 really breaks for me I mean yeah you can talk about the goth look and the dancing and you know that's been memeable for the last 10 years where it really breaks for me is there is just a scene where Venom runs into Sandman in an alley and goes hey let's team up to beat up Spider-Man yeah. and I'm like you've just told me that you've had two story threads that have nothing to do with each other Right. whereas like Venom and Sandman have no connection they have no connection through Peter you just threw me Threw two villains at me. Yeah. And then it's like Sandman takes over a construction site and Venom's in the construction site. There's n- there's no connective tissue in that. Yeah. And that's just kind of like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just like, what, what's crazy is though, so like Spider-Man runs out of gas by like the third movie. Yeah. And it has 70 years of comics right. to pull from at that point. But it's like, <laughs> there's like 12 Chucky movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it just, it blows my mind. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, by the way, I watched the first Chucky movie this Halloween. Because there's another Chucky movie coming yeah, out. Yeah, Mark Hamill is doing the voice of Chucky. That's weird. I love it. Yeah. It makes me so happy. Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill is becoming my generation's Adam West, but he knows it. Whereas yeah. like Adam West always kind of took himself. It. Yeah, he took himself a little seriously. Yeah. And it wasn't until later in life. That like, you know, the 80s were rough for Adam West. Like Adam West took it personally that Michael Keaton was cast as Batman. It's like, uh, relax, but like he, <laughs> he thought he owned that character. Yeah. And I think with that, from Adam West's perspective, Adam West was not looking at it like I'm interpreting this character from comic books. And then there's been a bunch of cartoons and now they're going to make a different kind of movie. He thought he was like, I am Batman. I made Batman. Yeah. he the And it must have hurt because at that time... William Shatner had made five Star Trek movies. So it wasn't like... He Do you could, think those guys like... Um, he couldn't look at it like, oh, I'm too old because... Because Shatner was still doing Shatner's it. Shatner's like his age and yeah. he's still doing the same character he was doing in the 60s. Right. And Adam West m- m- was thinking like, why not me? And it wasn't until like the 90s where it turned out all of these people revered him where he just started getting work based on people loving him for who yeah. he was. There was... Uh, that famous pilot, Look Well. Have you ever heard of that? No. Uh, Conan O'Brien wrote a pilot for Adam West because Conan O'Brien loved Adam West. It was Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel. And it was, uh, there was a uh, trio, I think was a network. They would show a lot of unsold pilots and they would show it all the time. And he wa- he played an actor that was a detective in the 70s. Uh, he was a TV detective in the 70s. And now he was hiring himself out 
to be an expert for police, mm-hmm. but he didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> and the police didn't take him seriously at all. And he would put on like crazy mustaches <laughs> and he would do like all the TV tropes to catch real criminals. Yeah. Um, but they wrote it just because they were like, you know, who's great. Adam West is great. Yeah. Let's and then, find something for and him. then Bruce Tim made the gray ghost for him. And then, and then, uh, when the Batman came around, they made him the mayor and then Seth MacFarlane went nuts yeah, he's him. in Family Guy. He was an all-in-family guy. And then they made, at the very end of his life, they made two animated Batman movies with him and Burt Ward and Julie Newmar because they're the only ones left alive from that yeah. show. And now Adam West is gone. And we were just watching the the last one they did right around the time he died, which was Batman versus Two-Face. Yeah, Shatner's Two-Face. Shatner's Two-Face. Yeah. And man, you can hear the old in their voices. Oh, yeah? They just sound like, like Julie Newmar and Adam West together just sound like grandparents. Yeah. Um, but it's sweet that they did it. Yeah, I, that's kind of stuff's always nice. Um, you know, there's there's always like a reservoir of like nostalgia that I think th- they'll be able to kind of go back to and tap. It's like no one's done with whatever they think they're done with because it's like given enough time, mm-hmm. you'll be back to it. It's like everyone's like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. It's like, Mm, I understand he's done. I totally get his contracts are over, but it's like we haven't seen the last of that. And I don't know what that means. But in the 90s, we thought we saw the last of Robert Downey Jr. Right, right, right. But that's what I'm saying. Give it enough time. You know, over a long enough timeline, I think uh, everything is going to come back one more, at least one more time. Well, what it is is everything goes back to when you were a kid. When things hit you the first time, if they hit you right, especially if you're a boy, it seems. If they, if you connect with something at a young enough age and it doesn't turn into crap when you grow up, you will love it forever. You know, you and I both love Marvel Comics because we were in the right place at the right time. Um, my first memories of Marvel are Spider-Man on the Electric Company. Yeah. And then a little later, Spider-Man and his amazing friends uh, and reruns of the old 60s. My first memories of Batman were... The reruns of the 60s shows in the 70s. I remember going to nursery school and all I really watched before kindergarten. I, I have clear memories of watching the Adam West Batman and Sesame Street. Yeah. And you will never, ever pry Batman or the Muppets out of my heart. Right. I fucking love the Muppets because they hit me at the right time. And the, the second important thing is that when I grew up, they were still good. Like there was this revelation when I was in high school and a friend of mine, who is now an archbishop, by the way. That's wild. Um, from John Cush, who's now the, uh, your grace. <laughs> your grace. Um, we were we were the two, com- eh, there were about three or four of us, actually. Um, but we were the comic readers in class, and I was super into Marvel. And he's like, do you read DC? And I was like, no, that stuff is for little kids. That's the super friends. And he was like, no, you need to read The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. And I've told this story before. When I decided to get The Dark Knight Returns, I caught pneumonia. And I read it five times in a month. Because I was just in bed and there was nothing on TV but the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, and I, yeah, see, <laughs> and I just read it over and over again, and I was like, "Oh my god, Batman's still here! I've changed, and Batman's changed too." Yeah, well, I think it's kind of it happens naturally, and also because so many different people have their like, uh, you know, hands in the cookie jar. Is right. this like this stuff changes so much? Uh, changes generationally, you know? Right. I so mean, it's start- always like somebody comes along at the right time. Somebody was going to do what Frank Miller did to Batman eventually. He's just the first guy to get to it. So it's like, not to take away from what the guy did, but it's like, somebody was going to do that. Somebody else was going to see Batman through that lens. Well, the perfect storm of it is somebody that grew up with it, that still loves it, uh, comes to it and be like, you know what I really wish they would have done with it? I wish they would have done this. Yeah. And you see that happen over and over again with... um, I think I was just telling you a story about the Millennium Falcon they put out in 2008 that I have. It's like two and a half feet long. It's got like every single room in it. You can move the figures all through it. it uh, it's this huge thing. And I talked to the original designer at Comic-Con when I was writing for figures.com. And he said, yeah, this was everything that they told me I didn't have the budget for in the 70s. Yeah. But now there's people that will pay that money so I could do everything with it. Right. And there's just all of these people in my generation started to run toy companies and all of a sudden the I mean, toys they were the are guys like, that grew up with the toys. Yeah. We've been talking the last few weeks about the Mezco 112 line, which um, you haven't put that Iron Man down. It's amazing since, yeah, he's got yeah. die cast metal. He's got a magnetic face. <laughs> a, a metal Iron Man figure is always going to be amazing. 
It's like super cool. But you know what? The guys who made that are in my generation who grew up with like the Mego Iron Man with the nose and the Secret Wars with the lenticular shield. And they were like, you know what would be really cool? His faceplate's magnetic. Yeah, and Mezco Mezco started out in a partnership with Art Asylum um, where I used to work. So they started a company called Aztec Toys and they only put out a couple of toys and then they dissolved their partnership. But the guy, Mez who was in partnership with Digger and the guys at RSL around the time I worked there said, well, I'm going to start my own company. And he started Mezco and he started off in like a crazy cartoony sense. He did all of the Mignola Hellboy figures, but then the last few years, he's just refined it and refined it to where you have probably the greatest Batman figure I've ever seen where like the Cape actually does everything that Batman's Cape does. And I've never seen a physical cape that can do everything Batman's cape can do. It can completely drape around him. It can pose straight up like wings. It can fold back and stay behind his behind his shoulders. I must have bought 150 Batman figures in my life. And yeah. none of the capes work like his cape. And not only do they not work, they don't come close to it. Even Hot Toys. Weird. Yeah, the Hot Toys don't Hot Toys is double good. the size and it doesn't do Yeah, that. it's kind of weird. It's like... What is this so, material? <laughs> so that's, but that's the amazing thing is like somebody like Mez is like, you know what I always wish my Batman figure could do? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Right. Well, it's like kind of industries you think do this, you know, uh, pretty much every industry kind of goes through this repeatedly where it's uh, the people who maybe initially are starting it or initially working in that industry aren't fans of it. They're just, it's a paycheck. Right. Comic you books know? is exactly, exactly how that, that. All those dudes wanted to be architects and illustrators. They wanted to become strip artists. A lot right. of them. They wanted... The real money was doing a newspaper strip every Which day. Is insane. Because everybody bought newspapers. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, uh, now only, the only people that work in comic books are fans of comic books. And I think it's the same thing yeah. with toy design. You know, the people that designed the Marvel toys in the 80s, and the Amigos and all that, maybe didn't care about it as much as the guys that are doing it now because it's like they weren't fans of this stuff. It was they didn't, just a paycheck. They didn't grow up with Star Wars. They were right. They were 33 years old and their boss said, we got the license to this Star Wars thing. Here's a bunch of designs for the ships. Make Figure them. it out. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, all right. Yeah. It's just a gig. Right. And, you know, now it's the guys that grew up with those toys that are like, oh, well, you know what we would do if we could. And it's like, well, you can't. It's like, oh, cool. Because the money's also there for the fans. The people who don't work in those industries to do uh, to per- to have have the buying power now. Right. I mean, know? I mean, one Mezco one twelve figure is about eighty ninety dollars. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, up until even a decade ago, a Marvel Legend was six dollars, maybe maybe eight or nine, depending on where you bought it. But you go back to the nineties; they were five bucks a piece. Yeah, you're paying for an entire s- series of say. 90s Toy Biz Spider-Man figures to have Spider-Man. Right. And there's people willing to pay that. I just got... Mattel is um, letting go of the DC license this year. And McFarlane is picking it up, which means we're going to get a really beautiful Batman, uh, Superman that will never come out, and then we'll never see it again. Yeah. Um, But when that Batman figure comes out, oh boy, that's going to be a great Batman figure. (laughs) And there'll probably be a Batman Spawn 2-pack. Probably. (laughs) With Frank Miller's signature on it. (laughs) (laughs) But they... Mattel in the last couple of years, it's clear that they didn't really care anymore and they're letting go of the license. But the last few series they're doing, they're like doing these little things that you could tell some designer at Mattel was like, no one's ever done this. We need to do this. So they started uh, what they call the signature line. And the idea was that they were going to do movie figures from all of DC's history. So characters they never made before. There's a Linda Carter Wonder Woman action figure out now. There was not that in the 70s. Like, sales of the Mego Wonder Woman went up. That was yeah. as close as you got. Uh, but, of course, since when Mattel's letting go of it, and the live-action DC movies didn't really do what they hoped, which is one of the reasons Mattel's getting rid of it. You know, you can still buy the Suicide Squad figures for about four bucks on That's Amazon. That's crazy. That, that line kind of dried up. But what just came out was a, another Heath Ledger Joker, because... They haven't made enough of those. Yeah, because millennials will never let go of Heath Ledger Joker. But they also made a Danny DeVito penguin, and which I got from Amazon this week, and he's perfect. Yeah. I mean, he's not Mezco sculpting, but they never— it's What the, have they ever done that? Yeah. What's well, the perfect thing? They never did it. They were scared to. Uh, in 92, when Kenner—Kenner Kenner had the Batman license then, and 
they did great with the 89 movie. You know, they made that Batcave, which folded out, and there was a Wayne Manor in it. I still have it. Yeah. They made a Batmobile. They made Batman in every- Joker Mobile. Every color of the rainbow. Yeah, the Joker cycle, a Joker Mobile, a Joker Copter. Um, They had that- the, they had a Jack Nicholson Joker where you got him cold and his face would turn flesh. Yeah. And then you put hot water on him and you could streak his flesh paint off. And they were five bucks a piece. They made Bob the Goon. Had and, an action Yeah, Toy Biz made Bob the Goon. Uh, they used, and Kenner used a lot of the old superpower molds, which were great. But when Batman Returns came out, they were so scared of Danny DeVito as the Penguin. I think everyone was very scared yeah. of Danny DeVito to Penguin. The Tim Burton went too far. He, he, some say he did. I say he didn't. <laughs> he didn't go far enough. Oh, I watched it again this week, and I think uh. in, in some ways it is better than the 89. But you got to be in the mood. You got to go be full, along for the ride. You got to go full Tim Burton with it. I mean, Danny DeVito right now, Frank Reynolds has turned into his Penguin. Yeah. But when they saw the Penguin, they were like, we can't sell this. Kenner re-released the Superpowers Penguin as the Batman Returns Penguin. Oh, right, yeah. With the monocle and the little tuxedo. He didn't look anything like him. No, he looked like Burgess Meredith. Yeah. They were afraid to do it, so nobody ever did it. This one is fat, and he's got a soft coat, and he can, and he's got a hat that's Long, removable. gross hair. Yep, and he's got that the Uncle Fester eyes. He's fantastic, and it's one of those things of uh, a generation with a bucket list. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, because Mattel's letting go of it, and they didn't. I we don't have a Michael Keaton Batman in this line. We have a Val Kilmer Batman. Yeah, it's so weird. That's so weird. We don't have a Tommy Lee Jones Two Face. No. We got a Val Kilmer Batman and a Danny DeVito Penguin. Tommy Lee Jones was Two Face. It's a weird time. It was a weird time, and he hated Jim Carrey. Yeah. He hated him. That's great. Just hated him. Told him so at dinner. Yeah. Just yeah. I don't like you. <laughs> yeah. And poor Robin Williams. They jerked him around twice. Yeah, because he was going to do uh, Joker and then Yes, the, so the story was that um, they set him up as a fallback in case they couldn't get Jack Nicholson for the United movie because Jack wanted a lot of money. Yeah. Jack eventually got it. He got a lot of money for it. Yeah, uh, there is a great sketch Saturday Night Live did at the time because Jack had points. Jack was paid like $11 million to do Batman. It was the biggest salary anyone had ever seen. But Warner Brothers didn't want to pay it. So they talked to Robin Williams and they'd be like, hey, would you do the Joker for five minutes? And he'd be like, oh, I'd love to do the Joker for five minutes. That'd be wonderful. And uh, then Warner Brothers, somebody at Warner Brothers was like, nah, pay Jack. And then they just cut Robin Williams loose. And Robin Williams was really hurt because he really wanted to do it. Yeah. So then seven years later, they come around again. They're like, do you want to be the Riddler? Oh, yes, I'd love to be the Riddler. That would be great. And then, uh, then Jim Carrey broke with Ace Ventura. Yeah. And they were like, Oh wait, that guy. That's what all the Gen Xers are into. That's what they want. And they and they let. It, there Robin was Williams a lot go. of anxiety, right? When East Ventura broke, that like Robin Williams kind of thought like, oh no, like this guy's kind of replaced me. Yeah, I was reading the Robin Williams book. Yeah, maybe that's which was, was really good. And then the HBO series, he was he felt over the hill when he saw Jim Carrey because mm-hmm. he was like in his forties. He already had his Oscar um, for Awakenings, and he was like. Settling in, he was like settling into his later years, but he saw, he, when he saw Jim Carrey, he's like, this kid does what I do. And he's like young and handsome and everybody's going crazy about him. Who's going to care about me? So the, the, to know he lost a part to that guy. Right. He had a very hard time with. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a great sketch, um, at the time Jack Nicholson made so much money with Batman 89 cause he took points at the end too. What does that mean? Um, a percentage of the profit. Oh, right. Yeah, so, smart move. Yeah, so he got $11 million, and I think he got another. It's like why Robert Downey Jr. made $75 million for Endgame right. is because he got a percentage this of the This is profits. why uh, Harrison Ford was the highest paid actor of the year uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out is because he has a deal to uh, uh, receive benefits from like the merchandising and stuff. Yeah. And so much of that movie was well, merchandised. He got well, Harrison out, Ford know. is like a third owner of that character. Right. It was He's like, like Lucas right Spielberg to... and... Harrison Ford. Now I believe it's Lucas. I, I believe it's Spielberg, Harrison Ford, and Disney. Yeah. Um, unless Disney changed the parameters of that contract when they bought it from Lucas. Right. But I think like... They maybe just took his spot. Which is why last week, and that was the title of last week's episode, was why he said, when I'm gone, he's gone. Because yeah. he owns it. But Jack Nicholson made so much money that uh, Phil Hartman did the sketch of Jack Nicholson collecting his check from Warner Brothers. Okay. <laughs> and it's all a parody of five easy pieces. 
which is uh, this great drama he did in the seventies. Okay, um, it's 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 a one of the seminal scenes of seventies cinema. And if you haven't seen it, the joke's not going to land. But there's a scene in that movie where you know Jack Nicholson's the angry young man, and he's in a diner, and the waitress is giving him shit, and he's like, he just wants toast. And then he's like, she's like, we don't have toast. And he's like, well, you, you have a chicken sandwich, do you? He's like, yeah. He goes, you put that on toast, do you? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, give me the chicken sandwich. Charge me for the chicken sandwich and hold the lettuce, hold the tomato, and hold the chicken. And then she goes, you want me to hold the chicken? And he goes, I want you to hold it between your knees. <laughs> and then she goes, do you see that sign that says I don't have to take any crap for the customer? He goes, you see this sign? And he smashes everything on the table. It's everything you want from young Jack Nicholson. Yeah. So Phil Hartman did that on Saturday Night Live where he's like, he's like, I want you to take 20 points and put it into Warner Brothers stock. Then I want you to take another 20 points and I want you to put it in a savings account. And then I want you to put this in an IRA. And then I want you to take 10 million and hold it. And Jan Hook's like, you want me to hold it? I want you to hold it between your knees. Live from New York! <laughs> that's great. But that's how big his paycheck was from yeah. that. Yeah, because you always... You know, we, we've talked about this before. Is, uh, I was too young, so I missed it. I was, you know, four or something. Yeah, we were just discussing as we were sitting down to record. Um, you were six when Batman Returns came out. Yeah, I think so. And I, I took my first real girlfriend as we were slowly breaking up that summer yeah to batman returns <laughs> that's probably why you broke up that's the difference in our yeah because <laughs> and you know what it's uh 20 years le- what, is, what is it now 20 no oh, it's 30 dude, years it's 30. 26 it's 26 years later and i still stand by batman returns i haven't seen that girl in decades <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's like uh it's hard to kind of remember wrap your head around it uh, how big that movie was and you know that this guy got so much money from it you know? well, and that's why Returns was such a disappointment. Right. Because it was this weird... <laughs> too too weird. Yeah, well, basically for Returns, they let everybody do what they wanted. They let... Uh, going back full circle, they let Jack Nicholson make a sequel to Chinatown that nobody wanted. Yeah. <laughs> they let Tim Burton go nuts. We so, were Somebody should have been watching that boy. We were watching... I was watching it with the boys uh, this week, and there's that shot where it flies over the abandoned zoo. Where you see like, uh, and it's the most Tim Burton-y thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Where it's like, it's there's all snow and ice and this zoo's falling down and these all these spindly trees. And as they do it, I go, what's this? What's this? There's penguins everywhere. Yeah. What's this? There's Batman in the air. What's this? And the boys won't stop singing it. Yeah. To the point where I don't want to hear it anymore. Right, yeah. <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, so you just went, I love movies where they just go full-blown, we're doing this. Yeah. And I'm like, I wasn't going this way yeah i appreciate it for the uh for what it is is this is this thing that will never ever ever exist again no one will ever be given the freedom to do batman returns style batman ever again and that's exactly why i love it because we are celebrating the 80th anniversary of batman we're gonna get batman's gonna be around long after you and i yeah are gone and you and i have batman's got like 40 years on us you know, we're not 80. No, not yet. Um, Batman's going to live long after we die. Batman's going to be, was around long before we were born. But there's only one Batman Returns. Yeah. The greatest thing in the world. This week. Uh, so, this isn't like um, relevatory or anything. Because it's, you know, for, came out forever. But uh, we were doing some stuff at work. We're always kind of like uh, writing stuff and trying to come up with like a short we can make or, you know, side projects and such. And uh, I want to talk about what we're working on because, you know, who knows where it's going to end up. But as an example, um, I, I really love the way this scene's filmed. It's kind of underrated. And I don't know enough about Sam Raimi, but I know this is very Sam Raimi-esque. But... Um, the it's probably one of the uh my favorite scenes <laughs> from spider-man 2 is when they're doing like the operating scene and they're taking oh, off the arms yeah. of doc ock yes. and um then he you know he starts murdering all the stuff or whatever the staff and just the way it's like filmed there's this <laughs> it's it might be like uh so my favorite like 20 seconds of film of all time <laughs> Is like the guy, he's like, I don't know, he gets the arm, comes out of the tentacle arm, and 
he's like freaking out he's screaming and then the camera like zooms in and his eyes like really wide and it looks off frame and then they show like a a saw on the table Mm -hmm. and then it's like they cut to something else and they cut back and then the guy gets pulled down and the saw goes down with him and then they cut to something else and they cut back and then just like a hand comes up in a frame with the saw and starts like sawing the arm and i understand it's a very like sam raimi-esque scene Oh, it's completely out of Evil Dead. Yes. It's completely Evil Dead too. Yes. Like uh when we were in the theater watching that, um, there's a gr- there's a great inside joke for Evil Dead 2. Have you seen Evil Dead 2? No, I've only oh seen Army God. of Darkness. Oh my god. Uh Evil Dead 2 is considered better than Army of Darkness. Well, that's by most just people. silly. Army well, of Darkness has zombies. Imagine <laughs> Evil Dead has zombies. Imagine Army of Darkness <laughs> better than Army of Darkness. All right. Um for me it's a toss up. I do adore Army of Darkness. But there's a scene in Evil Dead 2, where he's being attacked and he's like, he's like hacking at the demons and then he runs into the work shed to get this chainsaw. So, but there wasn't a, when they were looking at the editing, there wasn't a reason for him to go. So it just seemed confusing that he just ran away. So then Bruce Campbell looped in later, work shed. And it doesn't match his mouth at all. Like he just yeah. rolls over and it's just, just this big work shed. And they said, uh, Bruce Campbell said, Kurt Russell, he worked with a movie. He worked with Kurt Russell on a movie. Okay. Like some piece of crap that's not remembered. Yeah. And Kurt Russell walked up to him and he went, hey, say work shed. <laughs> what? So it's like, that. that's all Kurt, like Kurt Russell, who's, you know, made Big Trouble in Little China yeah. and Escape from New York. Movies that are, are as cult as Bruce Campbell's movies. Love that moment. And when we, when Renee and I were in Spider-Man 2, I think we had just gotten married when that movie came out. And is when we saw the chainsaw come came up, I leaned over to Renee and went, "Work shed." <laughs> it's it's yeah. an absolute homage to Evil Dead Two, which you need to yeah, see. Yeah, I definitely got to see. Uh, so that's I don't know why that's my greatest thing in the world. It I, it's like I've had a rough <laughs> weeks. Police suck. Okay, so <laughs> I went to pick what up happened? my brother this morning. Yeah, and he lives on Wabash Avenue. Okay. And like a big building. Yeah. And I pulled over. Uh, there's parking on the street, but then they also have like a bike lane. Do you so there were, in the bike lane? Well, there were a couple empty spots of further south, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be just like directly across the street from his building. Yeah. So I pulled over in front of his building in the bike lane, but next to like the parked cars. Plenty of room for bikes and traffic to get by. And a guy pulled up on a bike and stopped next to my car. So I was like, what is this? dork want so i turned off the radio and i rolled down the window and he's like you know dude there's like a spot like 12 feet up there you could park in and i'm like huh well okay i mean unless the cop's gonna come by i'm just gonna sit here and then he's like well actually and he pulled out his badge and he was a cop and i was like okay he's like the station's right down the street dude you want me to make a phone call i'm like no (laughs) did you move (laughs) or did you get a ticket yeah but it's like i didn't get a ticket or anything but it's just like uh uh, that's how my weeks, that's like a uh, metaphor for my weeks okay. going. So, so, so Spider Man 2, yeah. <laughs> Spider Man 2 is See, what I'm holding on you to. You know what? Evil Dead 2 will help your whole week. Yeah, I'll turn it all around. <clears throat> uh, so I so I got these Mezco Batman figures last week, as I mentioned, and um, they're really gorgeous and they were so good that I bought an Iron Man. Uh, yeah, you dived in deep. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm I'm tr- I'm trying to hold off now because there's a Catwoman out, there's a Joker, there's a Wolverine, and coming there's a Cyclops, there's a Cable. It's like yeah, they keep hitting my uh, all the buttons. me right on the head. Yeah. I have an Ash. For Wait me. until they do like the Fantastic Four. They oh, make God a Doctor it, yeah. Doom. Yeah, I have an Ash from Evil Dead too in this series, but it's kind of uh, resprung my Batman mechanism. And at the same time, I've been watching Doom Patrol on the DC Universe app. Which I think is pretty good. I'm not. It's not my greatest thing in the world, but I will finish it. But as I'm watching Doom Patrol, I realize, oh, I've never read Grant Morrison's run of Doom Patrol. Right. It's all on Comicsology Unlimited. I mean, I if you are if you are into digital comics, I really recommend Comicsology Unlimited. It costs you what Hulu would cost you, and they're just adding more and more and more and more trades, so you can read half of what I'm reading now. I'm reading basically for free. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have to worry about uh, getting viruses from downloading right. it. <laughs> so I read all of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, and it's really good. It's the best Doom Patrol ever got, but it's not the best Grant Morrison's ever been, right? Because it's really early in his career. Uh, strangely enough, Animal Man's a little better, and he's Animal ra- Man, yeah. <laughs> 
with, with Weird Al. Yeah. Those shorts on Cartoon Network are amazing. Uh, that run is probably better. Yeah. Um, but Doom Patrol is really good. But when I finished it, I was in a Batman move from Mezco. I just finished Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. And I'm like, I'm going to read all of his Batman run again. And I, ju- I read The Black Love in about a day. I could not put it down. And I've read it probably three or four times. I was buying it monthly when it first came out. And I've bought the hardcover. And I think I read it when I bought the hardcover. But I forgot how good it is. And Grant Morrison is so weird that whenever I read whenever I read him for the first time, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And then... So I was Green Lantern. I tried the first issue and I'm like, I'll wait for a trade. I'm yeah. like, I don't know what this dude's talking I'm about. I'm excited about his Green Lantern, yeah. but I'm like you. I can't read it monthly. Right. I was like that with All-Star Superman and I agree with you now. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, All-Star Superman's perfect. But man, you reread his Batman run. It all fits together really well. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what this is. Mostly because his foreshadowing is so blind mm-hmm. that I reading his first few issues, I go, oh, I know what he's talking about because he pays it off in Batman Incorporated five years later. Right. And when I read it monthly. as a new monthly comic, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. There's an issue with the Joker where he wrote it, he wrote it as prose and John Van Fleet just did CG illustrations. It's like an illustrated book. And that was the point where I remember reading it on a subway train going home and I'm like, all right, I'm not quitting this, but I don't know that I'm in it anymore. Yeah. And it was so much easier to read this time. Yeah. Uh, and it's making me think, what have I not read from Grant Morrison? Green Lantern is the obvious one. Right. It's also the newest. Right. But what are the other runs I have not read? And maybe I should search those out. So when I finished Doom Patrol, I just read, uh, have you read Flex Mentallo? Uh, I did. I wouldn't say I understand Flex Mentel. I think I read it because Quietly does it. Yeah, Quietly does it. It's the first time he works with Quietly before New X-Men. And it's like uh, those two are made for each other. Yeah, I was thinking of you when I was reading it because I know how much you love All-Star Superman. Yeah, I think Quietly is probably like... um, He might be the smartest guy currently drawing comics. Hmm. Like... Uh, Alex Ross is up there, but Alex Ross is very like traditional. Frank right. Quietly is like um, bending what should be <laughs> doable in comics. If you've looked at or read like the majority of like that guy's stuff, he is he's he's just like playing on a higher level <laughs> than like the rest of us. And I don't know what it's all about. It took me a little to get into because his art's hideous. Well, he's he's got these squitchy faces. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, it's like Kirby. You can't, you have to get used yes. to his character design, yeah. and then you can see his once layout. you get it, then you get it. But also, the first thing I read with quietly was New X Men, which was Me very as well. an established brand, and I'm like, yeah, what is this? And it looks so different. It looks so, di- and then when he leaves, it's like Phil Ramirez comes in, and Phil Ramirez is a great classic yeah. comic book artist, and I'm like, oh, I can breathe a little bit, right? But. Uh, yeah, going back, it is pretty great. I may read all of New X Men once I'm done. Yeah, I've got this. the Omnibus, and it's like uh, I haven't dove back into it since I read it. I don't know. I read it in the the thinner hardcovers they did a couple. Yeah, years I keep ago. I kept those thinner hardcovers. Those yeah. like big oversized. Right, they're a little easier to read. Um, but I may do those again, and I I'm gonna have to search out. Like I've read Happy, and uh, Flex Flex Mentallo is is kind of like. It's, it's like it's all based. I could be way off base about this because, like I said, I don't know that I understand what Grant Morrison is talking about half the time. I'm not like a very smart person, but it's based off like the beach guy from the ads. Yes, the old comic. Well, Flex Mantella was a character he put in Doom Patrol. Yeah, so it's sort of a spinoff. And right. when I finished Doom Patrol, I'm like, well, I might as well read Flex Mantello because it's kind of part of that run. And then I read, it, I'm like, it is not part of this run. Right. It's yeah, its, it's own it's, thing. Yeah, it's based on like the the workout ads from the 50s. Yeah, but it's really. It's really kind of like him doing Neil Gaiman, I think, because the British writers were really interesting. And I, I, this really hit me reading Doom Patrol because when the British writers came out and, you know, the, the holy trinity of British writers is, are Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman, Grant Morrison. Yeah. There's a bunch of other guys in there. Peter Milligan was really good. Yeah. You know, Paul Jenkins was really good. But it was really those three. And But when you read the early Sandmans and when you read Doom Patrol, you realize, oh, Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman are trying to be Alan Moore. Yeah. And there's a lot of gratuitous horror in those early books that it's like, doesn't seem like a comfortable fit for them. But they're like, that's what Alan Moore does. So that's what I need to do. Mm -hmm. They're trying to be his swamp thing. Yeah. And it's eventually they branch out to where Neil Gaiman uh, stops wanting to do horror and he starts wanting to talk about 
stories and myth. Right. And that leads to the later run of Sandman, which is just divine and really great books like Coraline or um, American Gods is a masterpiece. Good Omens, which he wrote with Terry Pratchett, which is an astounding television show, which he wrote the entire show. Mm -hmm. Like he started to, to start to think about how myths affect us personally and how they shape culture. And Grant Morrison went into kind of like just this trippy sci-fi. I'm going to talk about, yeah, I'm going to talk about the drug experiences in my twenties Yeah, and mix that and everything's a blender, um, which is what makes his Batman run so interesting is he takes these, all these crappy 50s stories and starts putting it through the filter of a Frank Miller Batman. Right. Where you get the Batman as Zuren R. Just insane. Yeah. Insanity. <laughs> yeah. But Flex Mentallo is kind of like Grant Morrison talking about myth and storytelling the way Neil Gaiman does, but it's through a guy who's fucked up on drugs right now. Right. So it's a really interesting story. Um, I don't know that that's my greatest thing in the world. It's just, I want more Grant Morrison. And I've said it many times. I will not rest until Grant Morrison writes an episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, that seems kind of like a no-brainer. Neil Gaiman wrote two. Right. Grant, Grant Morrison, Morrison needs one. He can one. do one. Alan Moore um, will never do it. <laughs> I might be wrong, but Grant Morrison may have written it, but uh, quietly certainly drew it is We Three. I think that is Grant Morrison. I haven't read it. I just That's read Multiversity not too long ago. Yeah, Multiversity I tried, and again, with anything I, Grant Morrison, it's kind of like, I just, um, this is like... I yep. don't know if I have the brain capacity for this. Right, read read it. Um, read it as a graphic novel. Yeah, maybe a, it lot, makes a lot more. It's like Final but, Crisis. But we three is like two or three issues or something like this, yeah. and it's like a, it's it's kind of like a prequel to Weapon X. It's very loosely kind of suggesting that, uh, but it wasn't Marvel, right? No, okay. but it's like that. This is like this would have been like Weapon Three. And it's animals with like cybernetic implants and stuff running around being like murder machines. It's funny too because. Um, Grant Morrison came up with the idea in New X-Men that Weapon X actually meant Weapon 10. Yes. And then he created characters like Phantom X, who was Weapon 12. Right. And then that led us to X-23. Who's the 23rd clone of Wolverine. Yeah, who appeared in Logan. Right. It's not a character I like that They've much, but I accept that she that, exists. Uh, Wolverine's Weapon 10 because Captain America's Weapon 1. I think Deadpool was Weapon 9. He's either Weapon 9 or Weapon 11. He's really close. Yeah. Because he was also a Canadian experiment. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. If uh, you want to know, hey, uh, do me a favor. Tell me who Weapon 4 is. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> give me your best guess on Weapon 4. Remember that Maybe guy it's a thing. whose like, hands were like rockets or something? Oh, random. No, no, not random. But his like hands detached from his body. Kane. Kane? Is that Kane? Yes. Yeah, he's probably one of those Inspector idiots. Gadget. He was a weapon. I think he is. Yeah, yeah he is. Uh, let, us know who you, let us know who you think the whole list of weapons is. Yeah. Um, one of them maybe is the ultimate nullifier with a face. Right. <laughs> but you, the way to reach us is I am at not in my book, both on Twitter and Instagram. That is the official social feed for caffeinated comics. Our news feed is on Facebook, facebook.com slash caffeinated comics, where you can also send us a post, send us a link, uh, and just let us know who you think all 12 weapons are knowing that Logan is 10. And Stephen, how do you follow the show if you're not already doing it? If you're not already following the show, you can follow it at iTunes and Stitcher and uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's an S. Uh, Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other one. And uh, I have been busy can... on Spotify yesterday making a Tom Morello playlist. Oh, good. You should ask John about his Tom Morello playlist. Yeah. I, I've never made a Spotify playlist because I always made it in my drive. Yeah. And I'm still 10 years Where ago. You're tinkering. Well, I still drag my MP3s into my phone because I don't want to use my data. Yeah. And I realize I'm the only guy still doing that. Right. You're the only one. <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan. And next week is the 30th anniversary of the Tim Burton Batman movie. So I think it we'll talk a lot more about it. It might be our topic, but let's it. not. Well, I don't want to commit to anything. 